Hey all, so this episode is with a woman named Carissa Citro. She has a podcast named Kind Finds, and it was a wonderful conversation. She asked me a lot of questions for her podcast. This was actually, she invited me onto her podcast and had asked me a bunch of questions, but I like the conversation so much that I'm putting it on mine, and you can get more information about her podcast later in the episode. So... How about you first tell listeners what mindfulness-based stress reduction is? Mindfulness-based stress reduction is a specific type of mindfulness practice. It is, um, I guess you can say, a brand of mindfulness. Maybe that's not the... um, It's not the best sounding word, but in reality, that's what it is. It's like a certain type of of mindfulness that is structured in a specific way. There are certain exercises or practices that fall under the curriculum. It is a, it's a curriculum that was created by John Kabat-Zinn yes. in the University of Massachusetts in 1979. And it's pretty much, the curriculum has stayed true to its roots. There have been some changes over the years with different people that have um, come into UMass and made changes. So there have been some additions and some alterations, but for the most part, the bones of the curriculum, it being an eight-week course that people take, has been the same since 1979. And it's a course that people can take to learn how to practice mindfulness. Right. Did you go to UMass yourself? Yes. Did I see that on your website? Now, did you, yeah, did you go that in like his footsteps or just knowing that's where it originated or it just kind of happened that you went? I, I found out about mindfulness through a YouTube video from John Kabat-Zinn. I think it was in like, I don't even remember at this point, maybe 2010 or 11 or 12, somewhere around there. (laughs) I All the same. Yeah. I was watching the video and he was guiding a meditation and in that moment, I mean, I, I didn't really identify this at the time, but looking back, there was a shift in like tuning into something else besides just following my mind throughout my life. And because he was able to guide me through that in my, um, in that video it, to, to guide me to access this other, I guess you can say part of my experience I was very interested in learning who he was specifically what he was teaching specifically so I that's how I did some research and found out that he started through UMass and if I wanted to learn his specific type of training that's where I'd have to go so I learned about mindfulness-based stress reduction through grad school I actually took a couple courses so I learned a lot about John Kabat-Zinn um, and we actually did a research project with mindfulness-based stress reduction. So we read the book Full Catastrophe Living, parts of it. I don't know if you're familiar with it. I'm sure you are. Um, but yeah, it's just really interesting. I know like when I first learned about it, I was kind of reluctant. Um, and even teaching people about it. Did you find there's like a lot of pushback when you try to talk about, you know, just awareness and meditation and how it's good for you and it's not? I feel like people think it's like a bad thing sometimes. I would say that, so I teach the classes now, the eight-week classes, and I put like advertisements on my website to show the community that I'm teaching the class. So really, I, what I've found is that the people that are reaching out to me 
are the ones who know about the class and know right. what MBSR is, and they have a certain level of interest. To be looking on the internet specifically for mindfulness-based stress reduction, they have to know what, they have to first know that that exists and what it is. And usually people that have that level of understanding of what it is and that there is a specific course are kind of open to the idea of it being helpful for them. Right. Yeah. Do you have like things you specialize in? Your business is really open to anyone though, right? But is there specific groups that come in or? Uh, so I don't, right now I'm just teaching adults. Okay. I don't have a program set up for children at this point, but people who have come to my class with all different presenting problems, uh, I guess, well, problems is a, I don't love that word, but you know, yeah. things that are, <laughs> they want to deal with whatever stress is presenting. So not a specific niche, just right now, adults. Awesome. So what made you want to start your own business? My own business. My, I, hmm, what made me want to start my own business? I'm, I'm going to think about this before I just. That's okay. Take your time. Because I saw your dad, your dad helped you establish it. And oh yeah. Okay. An accountant before this. Yeah. So my dad is an accountant and he has his own business. So I guess you can say I have of, okay. I come from a family of entrepreneurs in that that's sort of in my blood that <laughs> I would want to do that kind of thing. But I've always, I've always been interested in like, in entrepreneurship i didn't realize it at the time but i'm thinking back to like a video game that i used to play it was it was about like creating a character and fighting other people but there was also a commerce like a um an auction house in the game and when i was playing the game i was always much more interested in the commerce side of it like the economics of the video right. game not so much like fighting the the bad guys but the economic um the entrepreneurial side of the game. So going back to when I was like a teenager. Yeah, that was that's interesting because most kids just want to <laughs> fight the guys, fight yeah. the bad guys. <laughs> so I have a friend who, <laughs> I have one friend who always, he, he looks at me like the things I'm doing with my businesses or even I used, I used to play this video game with that friend. And he was like, James, you're always, try, you're always trying to get an edge. <laughs> <laughs> I'm always trying to, I think it also comes from my like, my desire to be creative and express myself in a lot of different ways. And one of those is like the creativity that comes with entrepreneurship. Yeah. This is like the perfect Avenue. I mean, it's your own business. You can do whatever you please and you're helping people along the way. Yeah. So do you work with your wife? Is that, is she? My wife is, she, helps me administratively like when i run the classes she'll help me set up the the classes or organize the the um the the guest list the participant list she'll help me in that capacity like printing materials for the classes setting up and putting the labels for my my business on the folders that we're giving to the people um so like administratively in that way she'll help plus she will uh, a lot of times she'll just come to the classes I teach to be a supporter. 
that's awesome. Yeah. It's always good to have that extra support there. Yeah. Um, could you walk us through, like, if we came to a class, like, what would we experience? I'm sure they're all, like, a little bit different, but just the general outline of it? The general outline, it is, okay, so this depends. Are you talking about a, a mindfulness-based stress reduction class? or just, Yeah, like, okay. yeah, like the eight-week course we'll start with. The eight-week course is... There's a specific curriculum, and it's 31 hours, I think, or 30 hours. So to kind of like uh, pack that into a couple sentences would be difficult, but I will do my best. There is different exercises from, you know, eating a raisin over a 30, 40-minute period of time and uh, tuning into tasting, smelling, touching sensing the raisin and that's just the first class so yeah people, i remember doing that exercise but i did it with a hershey kiss because i don't oh. like raisins but <laughs> but it really you know it kind of sets the tone for like oh we are so distracted all the time and like have like when we're eating like there's not a lot of awareness there so it's definitely something to think about but okay, yeah, continue. I interrupted oh, so, you. <laughs> no, that's okay. So I would say um, if you were in my class, maybe I'll do this. If you were in my class and you, and you talked about you didn't you do it with the raisin and you, because you don't like raisins, mm-hmm. I might um, invite you to explore the thoughts or the emotions that are coming up while you're experiencing a, the taste or the, the consumption of a raisin. Um, and it could be just with anything as simple as like moving. You could be just doing simple yoga exercises or something as simple as breathing or something as simple as just sitting there. These are all things we explore in the class. And really what the class is meant to do is help us. Well, I can see this now from this vantage point. Maybe when I started, I didn't see it this way. But really what it's helping us do is tune into our life with whatever we're doing. So if we're breathing, then breathing. If we're eating, then eating. If we're moving with yoga, then just moving. But being with whatever is happening in our lives. And I think if you look at that quickly, it could sound boring or (laughs) like, of course, you know, oh yeah, when you're breathing, breathe, okay. What is that like? Right, but we really don't pay attention to what we're actually doing. Right. What about, what makes you, I don't know if you're, you're interviewing me, if I'm allowed to be asking You can questions. ask me questions, okay. that's allowed. <laughs> what, what makes you, um, like you said, you learned about it in grad school, and I know that you have the podcast set up because you're, you want to learn more information about it. Like, what is your connection with it? So um, I didn't know anything about it before grad school, but we had a a student a little bit older than us who was really into mindfulness-based stress reduction. She took a lot of the electives um, and we were taught by Catherine Cook-Catone. I don't know if you've seen any of her work, Um, but she's a really good professor. And I had a really hard time in grad school, just like a lot of the anxiety that comes with it and everything. Um, And I just, like everything she taught us, like I just, it really clicked. And um, for the research project, we were working specifically with patients with tinnitus. Um, So ringing in your ears. 
and it was just really interesting to like go through the eight-week course and see you know the the point is for them to be aware of their tinnitus and find a way to accept it instead of you know move away from it so it was really interesting we had some we had them come back for a year follow-up and to see some of them like still practicing it um their mindfulness was pretty awesome and then for me i mean to be honest i have not my practice isn't very good right now um but like i do enjoy it and i would like to get back into you know making time for it but it definitely helped me you know when i like self-compassion especially like i lacked confidence so things like that were really helpful throughout grad school what's what's so this is my what I might say if you were in one of my classes. So maybe someone who's listening can decide whether or not this would work for them, and then they would know whether or not they'd want to take a class. But what you just said about your practice has not been good and you want to get back into it. The beautiful thing about the practice of mindfulness is that there's nowhere that you need to go or nothing right. that you need to do in order to get there. Like if we wanted to, we can consider this conversation a meditation. It's it, oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> so it's like you, we really don't have to get back into it or go anywhere, but here we are. It's right Yeah, here. and it's interesting because I feel like I know that and I've learned that, but sometimes I still feel like, oh, I got to like go meditate. I got to get back into yoga and things like that. But you're right. Like it's just something to just be more aware about and just not try to, you know, rush into anything or anything like that. So how many people are in your classes when you teach them? I would say I've taught classes anywhere from eight people to 25 people. Okay. And is that just like depending on who signs up or is it like different groups or? Um, it's, it's so sometimes it's just depending on who signs up. Um, it could be, you know, just the time of year works better for different people, but also the larger groups are usually taught through universities. I taught, uh, oh, okay. I taught a um, uh, the eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction specifically to mental health professionals through Adelphi University. Okay. Uh, I taught it through Malloy University. I'm teaching it again through Malloy in May. So um, the ones that are larger are usually the ones that are like the. I guess you can say there's there's more support in that the universities are helping gather the participants, so those groups are bigger. Right. Awesome. And yeah, I saw that you do um, like for teachers and corporate locations. What's that like? Is that fun to do? I mean, I feel like those people are probably really stressed out sometimes. Well, actually, some of the places that I've been to, the corporations, like what I'm finding is people that are open and if people have uh, um, individuals in upper management, like CEO level or upper management that are willing to bring in a mindfulness trainer, then the the place usually has a pretty cool culture right and that's what i'm finding like the people that are the companies that i'm going to are it's not that they're not stressed because everyone has stress in some level but mm -hmm. they are they have a, a sense of family and community that is pretty surprising now do you mostly reach out to them or they're reaching out to you or kind of like a mix it's a mix. I think more in the beginning, I was reaching out to them. Yeah, trying to get your name out there and everything. Right. And then, you know, some one person refers you to the next person or uh, somebody who took one of my classes 
goes back to their place of work and tells their boss about how how helpful it was and then their boss ends up reaching out but in the beginning like to get through uh, to do the program through Adelphi I send them an email I said hey I teach this class do you want to do you want to teach it to mental health professionals and they said yes so I went and met with them and we did it and you know some of the other ones are referrals like I taught one for the physician assistant students at Toro College Oh, yeah. my friend is a PA, was a PA student there. That She was probably in that class because I remember she said someone came in and taught. Really? <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah, she was at Toro. She graduated okay. now. So I, awesome. Yeah, so I did one uh, there and like we're setting up another one with that program. That came from a referral. That was actually a referral from a college. So it, it comes, it's kind of, there are all different ways that these things can come up. But more towards in the beginning, I was emailing them saying, hey, can I? Right. And then over time, it's, there's been a little bit. It's been growing, yeah. reaching out to me, which has been nice. Now, are you, you got your, your master's in social work? Yes. Okay. And are you still working with patients or is this mostly your full time? Like you run your business full time? No, I see um, 40 clients a week. Okay. And is that at your business or at your like job? I have, um, okay, so maybe I should clarify. I also have (laughs) my private practice in psychotherapy. Oh, okay. I didn't realize it was your own practice. That's awesome. Yeah, so like this room I'm in, I don't know if there's going to be a video on the podcast, but I'm sitting on the couch in my office right now, if you can see. Oh, okay. So you're still working with patients, and then this is your own, like, class outside of that. Yeah, so I work with with clients in uh, private practice 30 hours a week. And then I work two days a week at Long Island University in the Student Counseling Center. And I also teach mindfulness there, specifically to the theater and um, dance students. Oh, awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. And then I, um, I have my, so I'm mostly like 90% of what I'm doing is private practice psychotherapy. That's mindfulness informed. But then I teach these eight-week courses intermittently once or twice a year. And then I do these corporate events or like going into schools that I would say a couple times a year as well. And do you do any retreat? I know I saw that you have been on a couple of retreats. Do you do any through your practice or? I had one organized and you saw my website there was a chef. I had. Yes, I did. I saw, I had somebody set up to cook all the meals. I had the the place picked out and we had signed the initial contract and we picked a date and we had people signed up, but then my, the chef got into a car accident and yeah. So he had to have surgery on his hip and he couldn't make it. So I couldn't do the retreat without people being able, there was no um, food at this, this center. Like they didn't take care of meals at all. You had to bring in your own. Mm And I could have went out and had somebody else cook, but I had already agreed that I was going to do it with this person. So once he, once that happened, we had to cancel it. And then since then, uh, I've started my private practice in therapy and that has been. Oh, okay. That was planned before. Okay. Yeah. So I was like, I I haven't really just had the bandwidth, but down the line, I, I do want to run a retreat because there were people interested and I'm interested but it's just so you've been of, on like four or something, right? On, on your own that you did? That what's you that? Went to? 
How many retreats have you gone to yourself? I've been on four retreats. Uh, two of those were through UMass. They were like retreats slash seminars where part of it was silent and part of it was educational didactic learning through UMass. Uh, two of my retreats were uh, 10 days silent retreats. Well, one of them was seven days. The other was 10 days silent retreats. That wasn't like with um, through UMass. It was just uh, you go there and you kind of learn by sitting. Yeah, I've always wanted to do one of those, but obviously it's a little bit scary. But did you find it was, I mean, you went a second time, right? So like, what did you gain from all of that? Oh, what did I gain from that? I, I learned. Like a, an intense short, question, I feel. <laughs> I, I would say in short, I learned that you can learn a lot without saying or doing anything or speaking to anyone. There's a lot to be learned by sitting in silence for 10, 12 hours a day for 10 days straight. And, and all of that wisdom, all of that insight comes from within. It comes from processing what's already in you. So I, ultimately I learned from these retreats that we are our best teacher. If we can learn to, to listen to what our body is trying to, commu to communicate to us, then there's a lot to learn I like in that. silence. I like that quote. So do you find when you do these like courses and everything, do you find that the members of the group like become friends and things like that? I know when we did our research project, when we, they came back for the year later, um, like it just, I mean, ours was specifically geared to patients with tinnitus, so it made sense that they, you know, we're looking for other people, but it was nice to see them a year later. I don't know if they necessarily hung out, but you know, they're like, Hey, how are you? Like catching up? Like maybe they stayed in touch. Do you find that like at your business? Absolutely. It's like, it's beyond a friendship. It's such as a pure, strong sense of community that comes from this group that um, these people really become connected very strong in a very strong way and i find that people are staying in touch outside of the class right because the connection that they're building in this class is very strong and i stay in touch with some people that have taken my classes over the years because the bond that you make in that class is very it's very intimate like you're you put your phone away and you're in a room together with people for two and a half hours a week for eight mm -hmm. weeks and you're just bound to, and a lot of what you're doing in the class is breaking off and telling people about your experience. So naturally you're going to bond. Yeah. It's like very different than anything else you do in life in general, aside yeah. of, you know, outside of work and the chaos and everything. So what time are, do you host your sessions usually? Uh, is it just like different schedules or? So I was running them mostly on Sundays, the private ones. The one that I did at my meditation center, those were usually on Sundays in the morning. What I've realized over time is that I don't want to, I, I want Sunday to be my time with my family. So I, I no longer do that. And um, I'm actually not currently running an eight-week mindfulness-based stress reduction privately. I'm doing the one through Malloy in may but i am 
starting to run what, what I'm calling mindfulness skills groups, mm-hmm. which is going to be um, eight to 10 weeks with eight to 10 people um, in Massapequa at my psychotherapy office. We have a conference room that could fit like eight to 10 people comfortably. And it's going to be an hour and a half a week because what I've found is that a lot of people, they want to learn about mindfulness, but the two and a half hours a week for eight weeks is a big commitment for them. Yeah, that is a really big commitment. So I'm, I'm trying to create like a stepping stone class and I'm calling it mindfulness skills. And yeah, that I'm that's gonna... a good idea. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because I know, I mean, even for me, like two hours, uh, then I have to drive and then drive back, but an hour and a half just seems less like daunting. Yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run those classes with eight to 10 people. Right now I have six people on the waiting list. So as soon as two more people reach out, we're going to be running it. It's Wednesday nights from 7 to 8.30 in Massapequa. Awesome. So what advice would you give people who want to learn more about mindfulness and cultivate like their own practice, but are having kind of trouble starting besides, you know, coming to you? <laughs> uh, what advice? I would say have patience with yourself. If you find that you are getting impatient with the practice, be patient like you would if it was your own child or your own pet, or even a, you know, if you don't have a child or a pet, if you like to take care of plants or anything in your life that you care about deeply, care about yourself in the same way enough to take care of yourself and mindfulness at its core is really the practice in self-care so if we can learn to genuinely care about ourselves then it will be something that not only do we not dread or it's not it becomes less of something that we're we're doing because i should be doing it and more about something that i'm doing because it's it's rejuvenating like like sitting on the beach something that that gives you energy because it's just, you're taking care of yourself. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like I said, for me, the biggest thing was like the self-compassion that I learned with it because I used to be so hard on myself for no reason without even realizing how like negatively I would talk to myself, like my inner voice in my head. So that is a huge part of it for sure. I think you make a good point when you say like you didn't even realize. I think that's what the what's important about the mindfulness is we're living our lives for a lot of years. Um, and for a lot of years, we don't even realize what's happening in our mind. Like for years, I dealt with general anxiety and social anxiety and the thoughts that I was telling myself about myself were if I were to look back at them now, it's like, where did I ever get that idea from? Yes, I can totally relate. (laughs) And then I would, you know, vent to my boyfriend or my mom and they're like, what are you talking about? And just, yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting that we, but like, you know, we can find compassion for the most part for other people, but ourselves, it's like, for some reason it's different. You know, I, one of my episodes, you know, the phrase, uh, treat others the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. I named one of my episodes, treat yourself the way you want to treat others. 
because like, that makes a lot of sense <laughs> based on what you just said it's it, what i find a lot of people that come and talk to me or even myself is i find it easier to be compassionate with other people than i do myself yeah we're just like i don't know prone to just telling ourselves we're doing a bad job or we're not good enough or and it's obviously you know worse with social media and comparing and everything like that that's a whole other element but I like that quote a lot. I, a I was reading something it. the other day in this vein about like the redwood trees in California and how they, they, the reason they're so tall is because they're competing with each other for sunlight. And if they would, as a unit, decide to just stop growing at a certain height, they would all stay that height and they would all get the, get the same amount of sunlight. Same oh, amount. that's amazing. <laughs> and they would, they would be able to spread more seeds out instead of up. So I, I think like of humans in the same way. I mean, this isn't my original thought. This is something I read. I just can't remember the book, but um, I- I'll see if I can find it. I'll put it in okay. the notes or <laughs> But humans in the same way, like there's, Maybe it's a competition. Maybe we're not speaking specifically about competition right now, but social media, when you log on and you see people on their yacht in Miami, it would like with their friends and they're throwing mm -hmm. money around or whatever. Like there's that same, um, that same competitive, that biological competitive drive to be um, to reaching out to the sun so that you can, you can grow. And I think yeah. that puts a lot of pressure on us to be continually um, comparing and trying to grow because there's that biological drive to um, to survive and to succeed in uh, competition to the other human. Yeah, it's like basic survival of like the fittest. Since it's insane, but mindfulness has definitely helped me like undo some a lot of those thoughts. I would say. Um, so do you have any like stories of anyone specific who walked in your door maybe one way and walked out like another person that you noticed or just anything like inspiring that you can think of? Someone I, who walked in, I mean, when I, when I think of psychotherapy, my clients in psychotherapy and my work is very much, um, I'm going to move to the floor here. Hold yeah, on. no problem. Um, okay. Can you see me? Yes. I, when I think about like moving in, coming in the door and coming out another way, I see that my clients in psychotherapy, that it's mindfulness informed, and also in the eight week courses, I would say, generally speaking, my work is heavily uh, driven by self compassion. So either whether it's in my work as a psychotherapist or a mindfulness teacher, the people that are quote unquote getting it and um, yeah, I'll just say that. It's not my favorite choice of words, but getting it, they are moving in a direction of being kinder to themselves. Right. And you can kind of just like see it even when you're talking to someone, like even my boyfriend was like, I can tell like, you know, you're not as hard on yourself, just the way you talk about things or like to me about you. So you can definitely like tell the difference with people. I think I'm sure you experience that a lot. Yeah. I could see people's language towards themselves becoming kinder. That's awesome. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. I don't know how long have we been recording for? 
Uh, it was, looks like we've been recording for like almost 30 minutes. Awesome. Um, so kind of on the other aspect, do you have any advice for someone starting their own business? Like what challenges did you face? Um, uh, well, I faced and continue to face challenges <laughs> all the time. It's yeah. not the, it's, um, it's, there are a lot of things that come with running your own business as far as like having to understand legal things and, um, tax stuff and advertising and administrative things. So it's, it's not for the faint of heart. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of hard work. Yeah. Which makes sense. But well, it's, con congratulations though. Yeah. You're doing, you're doing it. <laughs> yes, I'm doing it. It's, um, it's any advice I would say <laughs> the same advice you, you that I gave to the practitioner <laughs> with yourself. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> I think that applies in, in a lot of areas. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So where can everyone find your website for your business or your own, um, where you see clients if you just want to you know, do a little plug? <laughs> um, so d d my psychotherapy website is j it's just my name, jamesdeconti.com. That's D-A-C-O-N-T-I. My website for the mindfulness is themindfulplace.net. Um, you can get a link to my podcast on either one of those. And what else? What else? That's it. I guess that's it. Um, my psychotherapy practice is in Massapequa. And if somebody is listening and they're interested in that, uh, right now I am, my schedule is full, but I have um, a st staff therapist under me. So if you're listening to this and you are connecting with the conversation we're having and you want to talk to someone that is a therapist, a, a licensed therapist, then you can go to my website, jamesdeconti.com. And if you want to learn about the uh, the mindfulness skills class that I referenced, you can go to my website as well, jamesdeconti.com. And I think that's it. Awesome. I just remembered something that I wanted to ask okay. you that I saw on your website. 10% um, of the proceeds go to charity. Is that correct? Yeah, so that's 10%. Explain that a little bit. 10% of mindfulness, people that are coming to me for mindfulness training the 10% uh, of that goes to charity and it's a list that I put on my website. I think there are like five at this point and it's people I've worked with. One of them is a, is an organization called cope and they work with um, bereaving parents, people, parents who've lost their children. And when I first started teaching mindfulness, they're one of the first organizations that gave me a shot of coming to work with them. And I don't, um, I didn't forget that. So now that I'm um, doing a little better in terms of my practice, they are on the list of uh, people can choose to donate to them. The same thing with, uh, there are some other organizations that I've met along the way. There was a, a man that I met, his name is Tommy. He started an organization called LEAP. Um, I forget exactly the acronym, but it's for law enforcement. Oh, law enforcement. New York law enforcement something. And I met him at an event I did for the police department 
the Nassau Police Department at some point, maybe a couple of years ago, and we were eating after the event, they had like catered food and we're sitting down and he was just a nice guy and he listened to my story and I connected with him. So for that reason, I got his card and I added his list to the organization. There's also, um, trying to think of some of the other ones. I, I know I'm forgetting some. One of my coworkers that I used to work with, he ended up becoming a good friend of mine and he and his wife both have colitis. So they're an important a couple in my life so I have that as a potential that people can donate to so really it's it's organizations that have been important to me in my in my path but then allowing the customer or participant to choose which one of those they want to do oh okay I see so they select which one that's awesome I really loved that when I saw that I mean that's what businesses should do you know that's what we and then the whole thing of mindfulness, like part of it, when I was learning about it was being of service too. And we did like a whole service project and everything in one of my classes and I really enjoyed it. So I think that's really awesome that you do that. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, um, that's been one of the most fulfilling parts of it. And you asked before about referrals, like that's one of the ways that I continue getting referrals because when you, when you take care of people, they'll take care of you. Absolutely. I totally agree. All right. Well, thank you so much. Like sure. I said, you're my first guest. Oh, can I ask you a question for my guest? Oh, absolutely. On my, my podcast. Sure. How can they access your work? So I am going to, it's kind of in the works now. Um, I'm going to have a website called kindfindspod.com. So I'm going to put the episodes up on there once I get a couple more record it um and then i'll submit it to apple and spotify probably so it'll just be that website and then instagram kind finds pod and then also twitter same thing okay so in the meantime before the website's up if anybody listening to this episode wants to connect with you professionally or connect with you in regards to your podcast how can they do that do you want to um leave another way for them to they can you know maybe they're interested about being a guest or they want to refer someone they think is doing, you know, kindness, kind things in the community. Um, they can email me at kindfindspod at gmail.com. Okay. And one other request I have for you, if you're open to it, when I do a conversation with a, I know that I'm a guest on your podcast, but I'm also considered it's okay. a guest on mine. Um, I w- like to name the episode together. So like when I, post it on the on the podcast i would say name with carissa right. how do you pronounce your last name citro c-i-t-r-o okay well obviously you're looking at the spelling but that's how you say it <laughs> um yeah we can name it together um i haven't really figured out how i'm gonna name mine yet um what did you take from this I learned about a lot of mindfulness things that, you know, I mean, you know, I learned about it in the past, but it's really interesting to be with someone who's doing it every day and teaching it. And like you having your own business that gives back, like that's the whole point of this podcast is showing the people on Long Island. I mean, not the next guests like aren't mindfulness people or anything or therapist, but just the people who are here doing all these good things and go unnoticed, you know? Hmm. Oh, 
That's nice. All right, so then maybe you said you learned about mindfulness. It could be something as simple as like learning about mindfulness with Carissa Citro. 